And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. Nice to see you. Nice to be seen. A little bit longer theme music today. Well, you know. It all worked. So. Yeah. So we are here with the local coronavirus update. We took a little break for the month of July, but we came back when the Delta variant got the numbers going upward again and filled up the hospitals uh, and now we seem to be kind of plateaued in, in that state of things so we are here to bring you the latest and also to answer your questions on a weekly basis though every week mondays at three o'clock none of this daily or thrice weekly that we used to do yes even though things are worse now than they were they when really we did are worse way. now and it's it's actually uh even worse than it was a week ago if one can imagine yeah so the plateau is upward sloped uh to be sure oh it's not a plateau yeah. i was being optimistic yes yes okay and well, actually i i'm surprised frankly i thought this would have been a sort of a short sharp peak of delta that, you did that is what had been seen um in other jurisdictions in other regions of the country but Mendocino County is bucking the trend and keeping COVID alive and well. Um, so in a week, we have added 319 new uh, COVID cases, uh, bringing our total um, as of Friday afternoon to 6,788. Um, we have about 500 people in isolation and quarantine. Uh, three quarters of those are in isolation, one quarters in quarantine approximately, um, which again bespeaks the lack of robust contact tracing, which frankly I can't begrudge uh, public health too much for anymore because we're, we're kind of way past that point. Um, it's really incumbent upon all of, all of us to contact our, our possible contacts and let them know that you're COVID positive. No new deaths since Tuesday. I think a live show last week we had breaking news of two deaths, as I recollect, bringing it up to 71. That's that's where we are still. Um, but still, 30 people hospitalized in the county, um, seven of whom are in ICUs. So very high hospitalization rate, um, utilization rate. Um, and that's about as bad as it's ever been, right? It is. And if you look at the, the heat map from Mendocino County over time, the last four weeks have been the worst four weeks in the, uh, in the brief history of this pandemic, uh, much worse than uh, December or January. And we're still red hot. Uh, we're, not, we're not starting to cool off at all. Uh, we are adding about 50 cases per day per 100,000. Um, that is up. 43% over a two-week rolling average rather than trending down. Um, we have about a 9% test positivity rate in this county, though you wouldn't know that from data published by our county. Um, and that bespeaks sort of a, a very high incidence and a, a probably a component of under-testing in the county. Um, so it's it's still here, um, and it's actually interesting. If you look at some of the surrounding counties, you know, Sonoma County is down 63%, Lake County's down 30%, and Mendo is up 40 um, Sonoma has about a 10%, about 10% of the population, uh, about 10% more of the population, excuse me, is vaccinated in Sonoma, but Lake County trails Mendo um, in the vaccination rate. So it's it's all kind of an interesting mishmash, if you will, um, locally and regionally. We seem to be doing worse than um, our counterparts in Northern California um, by a fairly wide margin, actually. What do you make of all of this? What is going on? I mean, considering this is, we're... Uh 
almost creeping up on our second anniversary of this pandemic. And we have taken pretty dramatic steps over the course of it. But now when we're at this kind of crescendo, it seems as if we're just kind of shrugging. Yeah, well, we are kind of shrugging, I got to say. I mean, we've been living with it for a year and a half now, and it's it's hard to maintain that sort of heightened situational awareness around COVID for that long. Um, why we are doing a bit worse, it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, obviously, the vaccination rate should be higher. Um, that That is certainly contributing, but it's not the sole contributing factor. Part of it is we haven't, you know, when we compare ourselves to, say, Lake County, Lake County had a very sharp peak about three weeks ago, and they've, they've come down off of that in a way that we just haven't yet. So, you know, that, that's contributing. There's also just pockets of um, vaccine hesitancy that are really driving the continued high numbers in this county um, and, and, and the hospitalization rate, to be sure. All right. Well, we keep hearing stories of really bad conditions for healthcare workers in the hospital. Can you give us a window into what things are like here in the Ukiah it's, hospital? It, you know, healthcare workers are fine. I mean, we're, we're trained to deal with this and it's it's you know we we are fine what is frustrating is sort of the continued um lack of capacity um regionally and locally i mean we are still i've said this before we are still on very thin ice and you know there's there's not a lot of excess capacity even you know absent a pandemic in this rural area um and with 30 people hospitalized it means we are constantly scrambling to try to figure out who can be placed into which hospital bed um who absolutely needs an icu bed and who can perhaps maybe find a hospital out of the county to be transferred out of county you know giving us more space. It is very, very tight. Um, that being said, the you know we do have COVID units, flex units that are managing the sort of less acute COVID patients. But you know when somebody needs to go on a ventilator, they need an ICU bed. Um, you know, really without any exemptions, and uh, that you know that requires one of the eight ICU beds in Ukiah or one of the few in Willits or um, one of the couple in uh, Fort Bragg. So they're not they're not that many um, super acute beds available. In the setting of everything else that puts people in the ICUs, and you know that hasn't stopped, and so it just it's putting a lot of pressure on the healthcare system. Healthcare workers, however, are you know soldiering on. All right. Well, we hear news this week. Um, at least what 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 I've heard, and then what you are bringing uh, approval of the vaccine for kids and the the booster shots. Yes, boosters, boosters, and kids. Um, so. The booster, you know, Biden announced that we're going to have boosters for everybody ages 16 and up by September 20th, which is today. Why that's today? Yes. Um, But the advisory committee that advises the FDA this past week said not so fast. Um, We don't really have the data for that. Um, And so they came out with a recommendation Friday afternoon advising the FDA um, to um, authorize the boosters for people 65 and up and for people in high-risk occupations, namely first responders, healthcare workers, uh, nursing home workers, that, that type of population. That is a much more limited population than everybody age 16 and up. The FDA 
doesn't have to take their recommendation. Um, they usually do, but as we saw with this Alzheimer's drug over the summer, um, they don't always. I'd be surprised with such a high-profile um, decision if they bucked this recommendation. But that's where we stand. I suspect it's going to be um, lowered to 16, uh, perhaps in about four to six weeks, but time will tell. Why do you think they uh, backed off on the recommendation for 16 and up? I well, I don't. They didn't back off on it. The administration oh, got <laughs> got ahead of the science, <laughs> um, which is disappointing to say the least. Um, you know, we have now not one but two administrations that have gotten ahead of the science, and some. You know, one obviously ignored the science, but it was it was misguided uh, to say the least um, for Biden to announce that we're going to have. Um, boosters for everybody age 16 and up by the September 20th. That that was just not um, anything that we we're seeing in the numbers. And it was it was kind of curious to hear Fauci spin this over the weekend, defending um, Biden's statements in a way that I think was a bit disingenuous. But you know, he's served through eight administrations, so he is a survivor to be sure. He knows how to do the chameleon. Yes. So it was politics in command then, not medicine. Well, I mean, the advisory committee fortunately decided to stick to the facts, um, and so you know, we'll see. And you know, it's. It's interesting, though. They, they made this recommendation, and then a few hours, I think it was just a few hours later, uh, more data came out showing sort of how quickly immunity is dropping, um, particularly with the Pfizer vaccine when compared to the Moderna. Um, and so the need for boosters, I think, is widely perceived by most health by most healthcare workers or um, people who have studied this and looked at it closely, but the data to support that recommendation just isn't there yet. And this is all setting aside sort of the global control of the pandemic, which I think is a much larger and more correct question, um, but that's not what this committee's addressing. Can you talk a little bit more about what that waning immunity looks like? It still leaves you with very high immunity. Yeah, to be sure, it leaves you with very high immunity, but it does drop um, perhaps a little bit faster. You know, I've been talking about it starting to starting to see a dip at around six months, and that dip maybe represented a 10% drop off. It looks like maybe the drop starts at around four months, um, and after six to eight months, you're looking more at like a 20 to 30% drop off in its protective effect. That's all still kind of preliminary, um, but its efficacy at preventing severe COVID, um, preventing um, hospitalization from COVID, still remains extremely high, um, up over 80% and maybe even over 90 But Moderna, sort of oddly, um, since they're very similar vaccines, really, um, seems to be um, not showing that same drop off. It might have to do with the three versus the four week timing of the booster shot. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure anybody really knows, but stay tuned. You got some special sauce. Yeah. Okay, and then what about what's going on with the kids? Yes. So, I mean, everybody wants the kids to be able to get vaccinated, right? So the kids, just the Pfizer released data um, just today, actually, um, on the 5 to 11-year-old cohort. Um, and keep in mind, Pfizer is the only one of the, of, the three, of the three vaccines that is authorized for ages 12 and up. Um, the others are 16 um, and older. So Pfizer is already in the 12 to 16 category, and they just released data today um, 
for uh, on a study of 2,200 kids that were vaccinated ages 5 to 11. They couldn't, in the study, they couldn't really look at outcomes just because severe COVID is so rare in this age cohort, fortunately. Um, and so in order to pick up any statistical um, significance of the vaccine, they would have had to have hundreds of thousands of kids enrolled, which they obviously could not do. Um, but what they did do is look at the immune response triggered by the vaccine, um, and it was very similar to that seen in the older children and in adults. And from that, I think you know one can um, safely infer, um, you know, in a very educated way that this vaccine is effective in children in this age. The dosage is different. It's one-third um, the amount um, of the adult vaccine. Are there vaccines that are effective in adults but not in children? Hmm, that is a good question. I, Off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Um, and, you know, it's really more a question of getting the dosage and the response, dose-response um, titration correct. Um, which is why they have to study it before they uh, before they release it, and that's one of the main things that they're trying to figure out is is a one third size dose right uh, versus you know the the next one is going to be under the age of five and that's going to be one sixth of the adult dose, um, and so that's sort of the main thing besides the safety that they're trying to figure out with this vaccine is how to get the dosage right for little adults. Like, is a kid size dose enough for to create an immune response? Right. And, Kids, children's immune response is much more robust. It's it, it's a it's a hyperactive system to be sure, um, in a hyperactive uh, person, um, and so it it it. it develops a response much more quickly um, and an adult sized dose of a, an of a vaccine um, would actually have a higher incidence of side effects as well and use, those are typically going to be just kind of you know the fevers and chills that are going to be more prominent in a, in a larger dose but that needs to be minimized in a way that actually still allows for maximization of immune response and that's one of the things that this study was looking at. So they're looking for that sweet spot. Yes. So that will probably get an emergency use authorization. I have read by by Halloween. I think that might be a little bit optimistic, but sometime late fall, early winter. Really? So I feel like that keeps getting pushed back. Like we thought it might be in time for school in September, yeah. and now it's not even going to be well, in time for Halloween. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the, the problem is our... our FDA approval process is really, and I think appropriately, focused on safety um, and efficacy, but it doesn't take into account the um, the risk of the illness that the drug is designed to um, combat. So, you know, if we had an Ebola outbreak, uh, which has a many, many times higher mortality rate, you'd be kind of frustrated waiting for the FDA to, you know, go through the 57 boxes of data that they have on any one of these trials uh, to make certain that it's absolutely safe when everything's pointing toward its safety. So there's a frustration there, which is inherent in the FDA's um, drug review process. A lot of um, public health officers um, and public officials and scientists who work in this field have argued that there should be a more streamlined process just for this type of scenario. 
keep in mind that the emergency use authorization um, arose after September 11th um, and the risk and the concern that there'd be a biological terrorism event um, and they wanted to have a structure in place that would allow a bioterror um, antidote to be rolled out very, very quickly. Um, and that's really actually where the EUA um, came from. It's, it's, not an old, um, uh, it's not an old protocol, to be sure. That is so interesting. And are there any loopholes if parents wanted to get their children vaccinated? Is there any kind of waiver or anything like that? Not that I know of. We can have a waiver for masking. But we can't have a religious exemption. My kid needs to be vaccinated. Yes. early. <laughs> I have very strongly held religious beliefs that require my kid be vaccinated early. I believe One in science. Try. I mean, I, I'm not aware of any religion that is anti-vaccine. So and yet we're granting those left and right. So I one can try. Right. I suppose you yep. can try anything. Yes. Um, all right. Well, anything else before we open up the phone lines? That's sort of the big news. Um, the California numbers, before I move totally off topic, um, California is actually continuing to improve, even though we are not. Um, it's down about 25% in the rolling two-week average. Uh, the U.S. as a whole is down about 8 to 10% in its ten, a two-week average, again, with a lot of regional differences. Um, mortality, being that lagging indicator, has climbed over 2,000 deaths a day. Um, so far number far greater number of people are dying from covid on a daily basis these days uh, than from heart disease or from cancer um, and unlike heart disease or from cancer these deaths could be largely forestalled with vaccine that is really depressing yep those numbers are rivaling I mean, do you want do you want a days. shot so you don't get cancer do you think we'd have anti i mean it's just it's crazy you mean like if there was a shot available to prevent cancer, people would jump at it? I, well, I guess not, right? Because people aren't jumping for the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Well, they've had more time to get used to cancer, I guess. Yeah. And what havoc it wreaks on people and families. And Happy thoughts. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. I'm sure there's plenty of questions. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. Feel free to call, even if you've never called before. It's 707-895-2448 with your COVID questions. Uh, this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales with Dr. Drew Colfax, live here on KZYX, and we have our first caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, thank you. Hello, can you hear me? We can. Go ahead. Okay, good. Um, I've got weird uh, feedback happening. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, thank you for the program. Um, we've been listening to you personally all along, and um, we must appreciate your information. Anyway, I have a question. Um, we haven't been anywhere for months and years, and we were considering going up the coast to Oregon um, and spending a couple of nights in a motel. And um, what do you feel about the wisdom of staying in a motel? I, I think the risk of staying in a motel are quite manageable at this point. I mean, it's we we do know that it lingers in the air for a little while, but it's it, the likelihood of your contracting COVID from a from a symptomatic or asymptomatic um, house cleaner at that hotel with you know lingering contaminated air is 
really very small. Um, if you wanted to be paranoid, um, you could open the windows to that par- to that motel room, open the front door even, let it air out for a half hour or so, and then not worry about it. The surfaces, I think you can safely not worry about at this point. Um, what What is a greater risk is where you're going to eat for on this road trip. Um, and I, I would advise against um, dining indoors still. I just don't think that that is a good idea vaccinated or not um and so i would you know i would uh argue that you should not do that um but any outdoor activity provided that you're vaccinated and masked i think is relatively manageable from the risk perspective well okay thanks yeah we we have not yet actually eaten indoors anywhere other than our own house (laughs) so we won't be going to restaurants or anything but um I was just concerned about the generalized risk of being in a motel situation. Um, and thank you for your um, advice. Sure. Yeah, it's, I, I it's think... What, it's what- it's what I wanted to hear, really. Yeah, no, I know, right? I mean, we all want to get out and do things. And you know, it, yeah. it's just a question of being smart about it rather than being absolute about it. You know, the first smart thing you can do is be vaccinated. The second smart thing you can do is keep your mask on most of the time. And, you know, if you want to wash your hands and take a few extra steps to keep yourself safe, then that is certainly reasonable. Minimizing indoor time, minimizing your exposure in crowded situations. And that's, that's I think, an acceptable level of um, exposure in terms of risk, you know, again, with a few caveats, you know, some listeners may be immune suppressed or very vulnerable, and they should be a bit more paranoid still, particularly while we're seeing higher numbers, though Oregon's not as bad as we are here in Mendocino, to be sure. Um, But I wouldn't advise against canceling or not scheduling that type of an activity at this point. Okay, Uh, thanks very much. And uh, you guys, uh Stay safe and well and keep us informed. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Yes, that me? It is. Dr. Kofax, uh, my name is Ron. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, had a question about the booster shot. I had, uh, I'm 73. I had two shots of Moderna. My last one was back in March. Uh, so is this recommendation for a booster just for Pfizer, or does it also include the others? It's Right now, it's for Pfizer. Moderna will probably be coming down the pike soon. Honestly, and this is not this is not um, the party line to be sure. I don't think there's any reason not to do mix and match um, vaccination. So if you got two Modernas, I don't think it'd be unreasonable to get the booster with the Pfizer. I'm not sure every provider is going to agree with that uh, assessment, but there's really no biologic. Uh, plausible biologic basis to say it has to be the same uh, variety of a booster shot. Okay. But well, you're, you were uh, vaccinated in March, and this is September, so you know, you're still not at the eight-month window that they're looking at, but you are you know, in the new age category if and when that gets the FDA approval, um, which it probably will you know, in the course of the next week or two. Okay. Thank you for being a, a voice of reason. Uh, you're my go-to guy when it comes to common sense, it seems. Uh, I really appreciate your show and uh, your attitude about this whole thing. Well, thank you, Ron. And, uh, 
Okay, and thank you so much. Yep. Thanks for thanks a lot. Bye bye. Yeah, be be safe. See, he got the Moderna. I don't know why I didn't get the Moderna. I want the Moderna. I I got the Pfizer too. Know, vaccine envy. Well, let me <laughs> let me ask you this. Uh, we have an email from someone who asks a similar question: Is it advised for people over sixty five who received Johnson and Johnson to take the Pfizer booster? Yeah, so that's a good question. And actually, a lot of public health departments are encouraging people who got the single dose J and J to get another vaccination, whether it's the Moderna or the Pfizer as a booster. Um, it really wouldn't be necessarily considered as a third dose because it would actually be the second. But we know, particularly in light of um, the Delta variant, that the J and J is just not as good, unfortunately. Um, it has a higher side effect profile, which we kind of recognized earlier on, um, but it also is just not as effective against the Delta. So I would recommend if you got the J&J &J and if you're at higher risk to um, make some effort to get a booster shot, whether it's the Moderna or the Pfizer. Um, and a lot of healthcare clinics and providers are accommodating um, that recommendation. All right, it's 895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. We have another caller. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hello, I'm I have a question. Can I can with the doctor now? You are, but could you turn your radio off? Oh, okay. Ooh, that's hard to listen to. I'll, I'll turn it down. There we go. There you go. All right, go ahead. You're live on the air. Hi, I have a strange question. Good. Um, ten days after my second um, dose of the Pfizer, um, my lower lip you know, feels like it's coming off of Novocaine. It hasn't changed since then. It's not super pronounced, but it's not normal either. So could that be coming from my teeth, or is that... Um, have you ever heard of such a thing from the shot? Boy, I so I take it you were you got your second dose of Pfizer fairly recently. Um, if you're still having but, these, yeah, I got it in March, and, and I, you know, and then about ten days later, I got the numb lip. And you're still have a numb lip now? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, that would that would be. A, I, I first off, I haven't heard that as a side effect of the vaccine. I, I haven't heard of it, nor have I read about it. So that doesn't really fit a um, a side effect of the vaccine um, at all. And secondly, the duration seems quite atypical for any side effect from the vaccine. Um, you know, some people do have very significant prolonged fat fatigue from the second dose. Um, that seems to be the most common, although still fairly rare, side effect. Um, but the the numb lip—that's a new one. That that's a stumping one for me. I'm I'm a little bit concerned about the persistence of your symptoms, um, and so a visit with your dentist or with your primary provider is probably a good idea just to make certain that there's nothing else going on. It's probably not acute, but I can certainly see why this might be bothersome to you. Yeah, well, it just was a coincidence. Um, I did have. Um, tooth pulled in January and you know I was told I need a lot more work but it just um, it 
it came on just as the effects of the second dose were wearing off. They were fairly mild. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, um, it, 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 there's certainly a plausible basis for it to be related to the vaccine. It, it's just one that I haven't seen. I mean, we know that the vaccine can trigger um, some rare nerve conditions, and maybe this is a subset of one of those rare nerve conditions. It, if, if it is, it's pretty rare to be certain, um, really unpublished in anything I've seen, and also probably quite benign. I mean, I know it's gone on now for five, six months, um, but typically these type of conditions are self-limiting and gradually um, resolving. Um, believe it or not, it might take longer than the, the five or six months that you've had it. I see. So you think getting the booster, the third booster wouldn't aggravate it no it shouldn't it shouldn't aggravate this particular weird symptom that you're having even if it is related to your your second dose okay all right thank you at least now you have a new mystery to deal with great (laughs) really covid lip yeah er doctors love mystery (laughs) (laughs) he says rolling his eyes (laughs) thank you caller all right next call hello caller you're live on the air um, I was wondering if, in light of the fact that there's no contraindication to switching uh, between the mRNA vaccines, is there any benefit to switching from one to the other? Yeah, that, that's a good question, and, and unfortunately, the short answer is no. Um, there's no there's no proven benefit. Um, some people, not all providers or scientists, have hypothesized that it might have a benefit because it's you know a slightly different formulation, and thus can train your immune system to recognize slightly different formulations of what is a facsimile of COVID, right? Um, but um, there's no there are no studies to to prove that or even um, look into that hypothesis. So I I wouldn't urge anybody to really spend too much time um, worrying whether you're going to get the booster with the same or the alternative flavor. The reality right now is it's only Pfizer um, and not every healthcare uh, provider or clinic is going to be comfortable boosting the Moderna uh, population with the Pfizer vaccine. I think that reluctance is misguided, frankly. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't start to argue that there's a benefit from seeking out the alternative vaccine um, when compared to your previous two. And if you qualify for the booster. Um, and you've been primarily vaccinated with Pfizer, you don't think that there would be any benefit to waiting for Moderna in spite of the actually better numbers for um, uh, For, people who have got... No, I I, I don't think so, actually, because the the Pfizer, um, the third dose of your Pfizer is going to really um, boost your immune system in a way... Um, that is quite robust. And while we're still having fairly high incidence of COVID, the, the thing you want for the next two to three to four months is a very robust immune response or recognition of the corona when your body encounters it. Um, and the best way to do that right now with available options is just to go ahead and get the third the third Pfizer. You know, I, will, I, I was vaccinated with Pfizer back in... December of my first dose and so I'm well past the eight month um, booster window and I'm going to get it soon as I'm you know as soon as it's available to me and I'm not going to hesitate about getting the third Pfizer dose uh, rather than trying to seek out a Moderna. Okay. 
Thank you very yep. much. Yep. Can I ask you about it after you get your shot, if you had worse, like, aches and pains you know, or any of that? medicine by anecdote is just bad medicine, but yes, you may. Okay, good. Yeah. I like to ask permission yes. first. Okay, we'll take our next call. This is the local coronavirus update. The call-in number is 707-895-2448. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, thank you. Can you hear me okay? We can, yes. Okay, great. Yeah, I just ran to the restroom, and so I hope I didn't miss this, and maybe you already answered this, but um, I've got a couple questions here. The first is, why don't children show harsh response to COVID infection? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and we don't really yet have the answer to it. Um, it is thought um, that it might, you know, much of the bad um, disease that we see in COVID is actually driven not by the virus's replication, um, but a overreaction of our body's immune system um, trying to control it. And so there's this auto, there's this immune response that triggers this storm of our immune system that floods our body and floods our lungs literally with fluid. Um, and, you know, can cause heart attacks and blood clots and everything else that we see with COVID, with severe COVID, that is just not seen in the vast majority of children. Why that is, it might have to do with the fact that children have less um, mature immune systems and they're simply not able to mount that exaggerated response. Uh, to the contrary, some people have argued actually that the children's immune system is better attuned to mounting an appropriate response um, and controlling the infection in a controlled um, fashion uh, rather than the uncontrolled fashion that we see in the acutely ill with COVID. We just don't know the definitive answer to that yet, but it's a fascinating question, and a lot of people are really trying to figure that out. Unfortunately, there is a rare, small subset of children who do have um, a condition that mimics the sort of severe adult COVID. Um, it's, it's called multi-inflammatory syndrome in children, I believe, MIS-C. It's an awkward name to be sure, um, but that produces a horrible illness in children. Um, it's quite rare, but it really does mimic the 65-year-old who's ventilated um, in the ICU with COVID. Yeah. And what percent, thank you for that, and yeah. what percent of hospitalizations are you seeing that are children under five? Well, in this county, none, um, because we don't, I, to my knowledge, actually, I don't even know if we've hospitalized or had to transfer out of county a single sick uh, child with COVID. I, I, I haven't seen one, and I haven't spoken with any provider who has had to hospitalize a child for COVID. Now, there have been children who have been hospitalized who have COVID, um, but they've been hospitalized for the other sort of pediatric things that happen, um, and then they happen to have sort of mild COVID on top of it. Um, in, across the country, however, um, COVID hospitalization rates have been creeping upward or climbing upward fairly sharply from a very low level to a moderately low level um, over the course of the last uh, couple months, all driven by Delta and this uh, MIS-C uh, syndrome. Yeah, well, I looked at some of the studies and I found that, um, you know, I, I have a daughter. I'm I'm a vaxxed parent, and my partner is vaxxed as well. Yep. Uh, we're totally vaccinated. Um, when you look at the actual death rate of children who die of COVID, it's extremely low. Yes. Um, and if you actually look at the CDC posted in May, 
but there's been 4.8 times as many COVID infections for every one that's been diagnosed because there's so many people who are either asymptomatic or not getting diagnosed. Um, so you actually, when you consider the actual death rate for children and you, you add into the fact that there's been 4.8 times as many cases that have gone undiagnosed, yeah. um, you're going to find that the, the death rate currently and I know it's not authorized for children uh, to get the vaccine, but if you're under five, you're more likely to die of the vaccine than the virus. So it calls into question why the hell we're even talking about giving children this vaccine. Well, that's not true, uh, actually. It seems no, to me no, the let risk me, let me is, just Let me just is, stop you there before you go on. That There have been about 500 children that have died um, from COVID um, since the beginning of the pandemic, maybe a few more than 500. Um, and so In that, California, there's been seven. Well, there have been about 500 um, nationwide. Well, the CDC in California both agree that in California there's been seven children deaths. Well, I don't, are you 18 and under? I don't think that's correct, sir. No, under five years old. Oh, I'm talking okay. about children under five. I do not want my daughter vaccinated with a vaccine that's got more chance of killing her than the virus itself. Yeah, that, that's... I understand that older segments of our population are scared and don't want to die, and they have a something like almost 2,000 times greater chance of dying from COVID than children do. Yeah, no, I agree. My, with... child, my child's getting enough vaccines already. I don't want to throw on top this one, which I got and I was reluctant to get, but I don't think it's fair that we ask our children to get this vaccine. It's like the hepatitis vaccine that they offer kids. What are the chances that your kid's going to get hepatitis? Give me a break. The chicken pox vaccine. It's unnecessary for kids. Well, okay, and that's all I got to say. It's really pissing me off, and I hope all the parents around the, the county get together and start raising up and talking. I want to know what the procedure is for contacting doctors and politicians so that we can make sure that this isn't a mandatory vaccine for children. Thank you. All right. A really pissed off caller to quote him. I was quoting him. So the <laughs> Are there. Are numbers of children who've died from the vaccine? No, I'm not sure where he was coming up with that data, but that that's not true at all. Yeah. Okay, so, and also no one's talking about vaccinating zero to five right now, right? Not yet, and it won't be zero to five. It'll be one to five. Um, and then he talks about chickenpox and hepatitis, both of which are very serious, nasty diseases that used to kill a lot of people. So, you know, it's it. I, I'm not sure where his anger um, or fear is coming from. I can, I can say with a great deal of certainty that before we start rolling the vaccine out for the five and under cohort or the under five cohort, excuse me, um, that it is going to be um, studied and uh, reviewed quite closely. And we're going to have a very good um, real-time assessment of what the vaccine does in terms of side effects in children 5 to 12 before the 2 to 5 uh, cohort starts to get vaccinated. And so, you know, that's, that's going to happen in a way that is, um, you know, is, is appropriate. What he is saying, however, in terms of the very low risk for children is correct um, to an extent. I mean, 500 pediatric deaths nationwide is, you know, lamentable to be sure, um, particularly when a large fraction of those kids weren't eligible for the vaccine until recently. Um, but 
that is still a very low incidence um, when compared to a lot of other uh, childhood illnesses nationwide. I mean, the flu, sort of your run-of-the-mill flu season, kills about 250 kids a year nationwide. Um, and so we're talking about something over a year and a half that has been a, the equivalent of two flu seasons for children um, in terms of mortality. You know, terrible to be certain and and avoidable um, with a vaccine. But for for the caller to assert that the vaccine was going to kill an equivalent number of children is is just spurious. All right, it's the local coronavirus update eight nine five two four four eight. We're going to be here until four o'clock, and it's just about three forty two now. So we got. 15, 18 more but, minutes. But I will say, you know, for the next caller, please, please don't feel necessary to tell us that you've just been to the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> that's a little really. TMI, yeah. you know, yeah. but I'm glad he rushed so he yeah, could get back. I, well, I just hope he washed his hands. I'm talking about protecting health. Okay. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes. Hi. It sounds like um, we're pretty much moving ahead with this um, booster dose, this third dose. But I was wondering, Dr. Colfax, if you could discuss the idea of uh, of people in the United States getting a third booster when there are so many people around the world who haven't gotten any vaccine at all. And I haven't heard you talk about that as part of your discussion. I'd just like you to include it. Oh, I I have, and I don't fault you for not listening on a weekly basis, but to be certain, that has been one of my ongoing gripes in terms of a world um, policy of controlling this pandemic. We really shouldn't be talking about boosters at all in this country, A, until we get the first and second dose of the vaccine into the remaining 35% of this population, and B, until we get the rest of the world vaccinated to a similar degree. It's, 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 immoral um it's bad medicine it's bad economic policy um you know we talk about small business owners here in ukiah who want to open their business without restriction i'm sorry but the really the real way to get your business up and running is to get this pandemic tied off and the real way to do that is to vaccinate the entire world um not you know not the third dose going to a healthcare worker you know here in the ukiah emergency room i agree completely it's just you know, that's that's way above my pay grade. Well, and when you're talking about how this particular variant of the coronavirus hits children, there could be a variant out there that, that would actually hurt it, children much much yes. more than it does. I mean it's we're kind of it's kind of lucky that that this particular variant doesn't and, do and, so and much there could be to a, kids. there could be a variant that has a you know a higher mortality rate to be certain. And you know, we're talking just, just to be clear, we're talking 660-some thousand deaths in 18 months from this pandemic, despite having a vaccine, despite shutting down for a year, despite closing schools for a year, despite wearing masks. I mean, that's an extremely high mortality rate um, for any illness. And that occurs even in the setting of everything that we've done to try to minimize that. Now, to be sure, we have been incredibly incompetent. You know, we still... You know, even now are accounting for 20% of the worldwide deaths from COVID, at least as far as we can tell. It's probably not quite that high because it's undercounted in developing countries. But, you know, that's that's a robust number for 4% of the world's population in the most expensive healthcare system in the world. I mean, it's it's it really bespeaks our continued um, inability to craft an effective uh, public health 
policy and a healthcare system in this country that actually works rather than you know lining the pockets of you know big pharma and big hospital chains well when you talk about tying this thing off mm-hmm. um what is the end game? I mean, how are we going to get out of this? It feels like we're just oh, we won't. Stuck. It, we won't. I mean, COVID is going to remain present. Um, it's going to be one of these diseases that lurks in the background, much like you know influenza, which comes out every year, um, or the common cold, or one of these other you know meningitis still is in the background all the time. Um, so there are all these diseases that are in the community, in the in the population as as a whole um, what will eventually happen what the end game is going to look like is getting to a point where there is enough immunity whether induced or natural um, that we don't see a large surge of outbreak of of cases here or there um, or surges of hospitalization but for one disease to put 30 people in this hospital in this county alone that's crazy, right? I mean, it's not like we have 30, you know, motor vehicle crashes hospitalized on any particular day. In this when we, we do have, our vaccination rate is is not too shabby. I mean, what are we up to, like 60% at this point? We are about 66% oh. uh, vaccinated amongst the eligible population. So we still have 30 in the hospital, even though we have that much vaccination here. That's yeah. Yeah, and, and you know there are there are a few people hospitalized who have been fully vaccinated. Um, that has happened in this county. Um, it will continue to happen. Um, they are, you know, unfortunate to be sure. Um, but that you know nothing right. is nothing is absolute, and this vaccine is not absolute either. All right, let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm so glad you brought that up that the woman asked you, I call it vaccine apartheid. Uh, There's a discussion of it on Democracy Now! today. And uh, tradewatch.org, they have petitions and stuff, and we're supposed to be calling Biden and our senators and saying release the patents so that every country can make the vaccine. And it's our greedy, greedy drug companies that will not release the patents because they got to all be billionaires. And I'd like you to speak to that. If every country could make the vaccine, maybe we could get on top of it. Thank you. I'll take my... I'll hang up. Thank you. Yeah, no, that, that that's a very good point. I mean, a lot of this is um, due to the fact that these companies are holding on to their patent protection. The federal government, to be certain, has the power to um, release those patents despite the despite the drug company's um, refusal to do so. It has the authority. It can it can make that happen if it were so inclined. So, I you know, I, it's easy to fault the drug companies on this front, to be certain. But really, the blame rests with our senators um, and our congressperson and our president, dare I say, uh, for not making that happen. It's inexcusable, um, particularly since we funded uh, these drug companies. You know, we, the taxpayers, funded these drug drug companies to develop these um, vaccines and to roll them out. It's not like this came from their, you know, their vaults in, you know, Switzerland. The, the cash came from the U.S. government, um, and the, the money is now rolling into those Swiss vaults, to be sure, um, or I guess the Cambridge mass vaults, if there are some. I don't really remember there being any, but, you know, they certainly exist in Switzerland. That's an image, money rolling into the vaults. Well, have you seen the, the financials for Pfizer or Moderna? Are they oh, they're, impressive? They're, they're doing quite well, yep. mind you me, yes. Pandemic is good for business, Good for I business, guess. indeed. Yes, indeedy. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I'm wondering about the Novavax vaccine. Can you give us some information on that? I haven't heard about it for a few weeks. Yeah, boy, I haven't either, actually. So I don't have any breaking news on the Novavax. Um, I, it might, if you're asking as to whether we're going to be seeing that rolled out in the United States anytime soon, um, I, I think the answer is probably no. Um, I, I just don't see them seeking authorization um, for United States rollout, maybe even ever, um, but perhaps not until the spring. Now, why is that? Didn't they take money from the government as well? They did. Yeah, there were, as I recollect, five that were part of the uh, part of the Operation Warp Speed um, largesse, um, and Novavax was one of them, as I recollect. My understanding, it was extremely effective in their their tests so far, and also being the old traditional style of vaccine, it's much cheaper and easier to produce. Yes, and so you might have answered your own question. Um, there is, I'm certain, a financial, um, you know, sudoku, if you will, to be solved there as to why Novavax is not seeking its authorization in the United States. I'm not privileged to that knowledge, and I haven't really seen it um, discussed in anything that I've been reviewing over the course of the last even month or so, actually. But not to go down a conspiracy rabbit hole, but you know how much like I love the those. Pfizer vaccine, the Pfizer didn't take any money from the government, and they're now the only one that's been approved for general use in the public. Um, seems a little fishy to me that it's going down like this. Yeah, I, it 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 is coincidental, at least to say the least. Um, but you know, yeah. Moderna is on Pfizer's heels, um, and, and they were one of the one of the Operation Warp Speed drug companies. And so, you know, I'm not, one out of five. Well, you know, that sounds about right for government work. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably more than government work. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Okay, so are you suggesting now that the profits were in command rather than medicine in I, command on the Novavax you know, issue? I, I don't. I don't actually know that. I mean, Novavax has run into some problems um, in its trials um, in terms of getting things rolled out and squared away and getting it documented. So I, I think that's actually what's been driving the delay. But the the reality now is that the financial incentive to roll out this vaccine in the United States is just not there um, when we have an when we have a glut of available um, um, approved vaccines in this country. All right, it's eight nine five two four four eight seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. We've got about. Seven minutes left here on the local coronavirus update for today, and the lines are open. Wow. Well, I think we answered everybody's I question. Know. Maybe yeah. we got to the end of the line. Oh, <laughs> no. We've got another caller. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, I just wanted to ask the doctor if the companies that do the mRNA-type um, testing practiced with coronavirus, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, how long have they been working with uh, mRNA for corona? And then my second question is, in terms of the people who have been catching the virus recently, in what arena are they in? What type of work situations or what type of situations have you found people in that have caught the virus? I'm interested in those as questions if you don't mind and I think I'll listen and then I will 
see if you answer the questions, and then I will ask some more. If, uh, I'll respond. I'll stay on the line. Okay. So, in terms of your first question, um, the mRNA uh, research, uh, the 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 technology has been studied um, in terms of developing um, mRNA um, vaccines or medicines since the late 1990s, um, and it really started to gain steam um, in the early aughts uh, through the um, you know the early um, teens of this century. Um, but it, in terms of it being studied on um, coronaviruses. Um, I actually don't know. I suspect that they were studied on coronaviruses just because the family of coronaviruses are so common, but I don't have any inside knowledge as to whether that was one of the um, viruses that they were using in their research. It certainly wasn't used on COVID until COVID became um, apparent, you know, in the late 19, in the late uh, 2019, I guess, is when it really first appeared. Um, and so, you know, that that was not um, an available re- avenue of research um, until much more recently. Um, as for your second question as to where people are getting COVID these days, unfortunately, they're still getting it at the same sort of places that they've been getting it all along. They're getting it at indoor uh, venues, indoor activities, indoor family gatherings. Um, we are seeing slightly higher incidence of people getting it outdoors, but that's still a fraction of the indoor transmission. Um, a considerable f- portion of the cases that we're seeing locally are coming from transmission within families, actually, um, which, you know, you can't really fault people for that happening. And we, we tend to live together and, you know, households um, rise or fall on COVID uh, jointly. And that's unavoidable. How each individual member, how the sort of uh, first case uh, in that family um, gets the disease uh, is still from other indoor events in the county. I was wondering um, if if you if seventy five percent is supposed to create a herd immunity, why are we pushing for the hundred percent? Well, to be sure, seventy five percent probably is not herd immunity with the Delta variant. It is much more contagious um, than the previous uh, flavors of COVID, and so the number um, uh, has risen, unfortunately, into the nineties for some degree of herd immunity. That however, does not mean just the vaccine-induced immunity because we are now dealing with a substantial fraction of people either proven to have had COVID or who have, in fact, had COVID and just not realized it. So we are going to get to herd immunity. Um, It's just a question of how and when. Um, I have said repeatedly, both here and at work, that you are going to develop immune antibodies to COVID. That will happen. Um, that, That is unavoidable. Um, And whether you're going to develop antibodies to COVID from the vaccine or from contracting COVID is kind of up to you. Um, But, you know, that that will happen and we will get to herd immunity. That, unfortunately, is the reality we're dealing with. I I just wish we could have more of a discussion on how we build immunity in relation to the 1918 virus. Um, Obviously, it was devastating, but there was an immunity that occurred without a vaccine. And when I speak of these questions, it's not to pro or to anti. It's 
obviously very important for people to ask questions, and I think maybe people are afraid to ask questions because by asking questions, people automatically want to assume that that person is anti-something, and sure. that's very dangerous for our public. I No, I agree with your point uh, entirely, and your point about the 1918-1919 virus pandemic is well taken. But um, it needs to be understood in the context of an excess of 20 million worldwide deaths from that pandemic um, with a world population that was a fraction of our current world population. So that would, you know, in today's numbers, that would translate to an excess of 100 million um, deaths. Um, So, you know, it is the vaccine that is controlling this pandemic and is keeping people from dying in far higher numbers. All right. Thank you for that call. Caller, we have to wrap it up. We're coming down to the last minute. Yes, indeedy. Got anything else? I don't think so. For the week? No, you know, be safe. Carry on. Yes, be kind, be patient. Um, the last caller made a good point. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions and uh, don't attack those who are. All right. Well, on that note, we shall leave you for the week, but we'll be back Monday, next Monday, 3 o'clock. I'd love to hear that the, the plateau is going in a different direction. That would be nice. It really would. Yes. All right. It's the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks, callers. Thanks, Dr. Drew. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.